Welcome friends, I'm so glad you're here. My name's Savannah Ritchie and this is from Olive to Oil Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a licensed professional clinical counselor, and just an average person trying to figure out how to do life with the Lord daily. This is an inclusive space where we share about refining moments in our life that God uses for His glory. I'm so grateful for your support and to have you listening. Well, welcome back to the podcast, friends. I have an old friend, Kristen, used to be Drew. Martina is now with me. Welcome, Kristen. How are you? Good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like I'm like a perpetual new mom grabber, but (laughs) it's been a weird coincidence that a lot of my recent guests have been moms of three-month-year-old little babes. And how old is yours? Yeah, he'll be three months next week. Okay, that's that's too weird. That is too weird. You guys are awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm so glad you're here. So I have Kristen Martinez with me. She is a wife, a brand new mother of three months. She is a young adult cancer survivor and now a young adult cancer advocate. And I am just so glad to be chatting with you. So how's it going? Good. I'm happy to be here. And I know I was excited when you when you reached out to me. I was like, this this is right up my alley. I yeah. like, would love to do something like this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Your alley. Tell us a little bit about who you are, who your people are, what life looks like and where it all happens. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, Kristen Drew Martinez now grew up in Lamore. So that's how you and I know each other from, you know, small town rivalries and sports Mm -hmm. and everything. (laughs) And then yeah, I went to school at Washington State. And right before my senior year got diagnosed with cancer. So took a little break from that and then graduated moved back. Um, I live in Hanford now. And now I'm working for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and just had a baby. So still on my maternity leave soaking it all in before I go back to work. And yeah, I have my family's here. That's why I came back. I'm super close with my family and my husband's from Lamore. His family's here. So that's everything that we're up to. Yeah. <laughs> Taking care of a new baby. It's an adjustment. That's mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> Definitely. And I didn't realize you were living in Hanford now. That's so fun. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Do you like so, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My my parents actually sold the dairy, so they moved to <gasps> Hanford. And then oh, my we came gosh. With, we came to Hanford. And then I have another sister that's in town, too. So it's been fun. I'm like, oh, I'm close to Target now, which is dangerous. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Seriously, I got the Target. I didn't have, like, the mobile app before oh. or ever used Drive Up before I became a mom. And now, yes. yeah. It's a it's, it's so a convenient. whole thing. A whole <laughs> yeah. thing. Okay, well, it makes me feel better that you live in Hanford now because I'm like, I got to step it up with my Hanford guest. <laughs> I'm feeling that rivalry right now. You're my second Lamore guest and I haven't yeah. done any of my Hanford people yet. So Hanford people <laughs> know that it's just because you guys are too close to me. <laughs> I'm too scared. No, I'm just oh kidding. But no, yeah, this will be fun. So you mentioned a little bit about how we know each other. So funny story, I was thinking back on just like all the obviously, like you said, tiny town, we're bound to know of each other. But I was thinking about it. And we really have a lot of a lot of different connections throughout (laughs) our family and, and just different people. 
people. So the first time I ever heard of your name, who you were, my little cousin was going to a dance with you. So I just saw pictures from, you know, like before the dance and you were the cutest thing ever. And then your older sister, Lauren, uh-huh. how, how many sport? I'm like, she's a double sport athlete, but probably more. Like yeah. how many sports did she play? She did. Yeah. She did volleyball and soccer. Okay. Well then yeah. perfect. So she would have played then volleyball with one of my older cousins and then soccer with another of my older cousins. <laughs> yeah. But then we actually got to get connected, you know, me and you through, I played volleyball with your best friend. Yep. <laughs> and that was so fun. And you were playing for the same club, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The younger team. And yeah, I remember you being at Jasmine's house one time because you guys were carpooling and yeah. you're like, oh, this is Savannah. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that seems like forever ago, but yeah. So you oh. would know the struggle. So like, I just can't believe we were in high school and driving 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> to practice multiple times a week. Yeah. on like a school night on top right. of our school sports that was yeah. <laughs> honestly wouldn't trade it for the world though that I love no. club travel any sport so that was yeah. so fun but yeah. yes that's so funny oh little Nina yeah she was my <laughs> carpool buddy and I remember too we would be at like the same tournament so like yes. seeing you guys or eating after or whatever but yeah, yeah. Anyway, Anything. all to say, seriously, all to say, we got a lot of connections. And yeah. so I'm happy we get to chat more tonight. Yeah, me too. Me too. I know. I always forget that you are cousins with Dylan and Cassidy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We look nothing alike. So <laughs> people people tend to forget. But yeah, they're my second cousins. We're close. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so I don't even know where to start. So that was high school. And then naturally, you said you moved out of state for college, right? Yep. Yeah, Washington State. Okay. How was that? It was so fun. I I always say like probably one of the best decisions I made. We mm-hmm. I, I do my dad has a sister, so I had some cousins that live in Washington State. Um they were like three hours away, so not like mm-hmm. super close still. But you know, I I had that, but otherwise I didn't know anybody there going into it. But I mean the school is on the east side of the state and most people like live in Seattle, you know. So mm-hmm. it was just fun because everyone was always on campus. Like no one went home that often because Seattle is a five hour drive depending on, you know, where they lived. So it's a great school. Pac-12, everyone went to the football games, like even volleyball games. Like it was just such a fun experience and like lifelong friends were made. But then I'm like, that's the one bad thing. Now all my friends live in Washington, in Seattle. I know. It's the flight's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard. A group of my group of my college friends ended up all moving to Michigan. So I was like, what? That's so far. I hate it. I hate it. Why? But yeah, I know that's so hard. Okay, so you're there. Mm -hmm. You said right before senior year. So walk us through timeline and um, what was going on for you at that time? 
Yeah. So actually the spring semester of my junior year, uh, one of my best friends and I studied abroad in Barcelona. <gasps> yes. And then, I remember yeah. this. Okay. Cause yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we did that from yeah, January until the end of April. So then we spent, uh, we stayed another week and we did like five days in Italy and then we came home and literally the best experience ever. I will forever encourage people to study abroad because yeah. it was so much fun. And you still had like, you know, we did it through a program. So there was always someone that we could call if anything ever happened, which was really nice. But um, so did that, like the experience of a lifetime, came home and my stomach was kind of hurting, but I was like, we just spent a week in Italy eating pasta and pizza and drinking wine. Like I probably need just like a cleanse. Yeah. And then I just like progressively was getting worse. And it was like these stomach cramps that I've just never experienced before. So we went to the doctor and they did a test and they were like, oh, it's H. pylori, which is like a stomach bacteria. Yes. And they were like, you probably picked it up in Europe. So start these antibiotics. Okay. Well, then... It was getting worse. And then I just, I swear, I just woke up and was like, oh my God, there's a lump on my, on my neck right above like my collarbone. And so then we, yeah, ended up getting a, a CT of like my chest. And then I was just waiting on this doctor. And in the meantime, my stomach was getting worse. And so he was like, well, we're going to schedule you for a biopsy in two weeks. And then we'll figure out what's going on with your stomach after. I'm like, it's mm -hmm. not connected. And he goes, no, it's not connected. Something else. Okay. So then it got to the point where like, I couldn't even like drink water. I couldn't keep anything down. And so we were like, we have to go to the hospital. And I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> you think about the Valley and we're like, oh God, what hospital do we go to? Mm. And so for whatever reason, I was like, I think we should go to Santa Barbara. I had family that had gone down there and I knew that they had seen there's different specialists. So in my head, I was like, you know, we can go down there. Hopefully they could figure out what the lump is and then also figure out my stomach like all at once and you know get it and out type of thing yeah and my family has a place in Pismo so we were able to like spend the night in Pismo and then we went down there and then yeah we get we go into the urgent care and I remember they did an x-ray and then they were like this is really bad like we think like we recommend if, if you're okay with it getting in an ambulance to drive across the street to go to the emergency room wow so we did that and then literally within 24 hours they were like okay it's cancer and we're starting chemo and so that was just like obviously a huge shock that no one in my family's had cancer and I had been you know healthy pretty much my whole life mm -hmm. but I do remember feeling this like relief because it had been like three weeks of trying to figure out what the heck was going on and then like nobody could give me answers mm -hmm. so it was like okay this is this is what it is. And then I met my oncologist and I remember he walked in and he goes, well, you could either go to UCLA or you could go up to San Francisco. I know you live kind of in the middle. And he goes, mm. or we could, we could treat you here. It's up to you. And I just remember thinking like, that was really cool that you gave me those options. So I want to stay here with you. <laughs> and I'm so glad I did because like that. instant rapport. Yes. And then I just think like UCLA and San Francisco are so big that mm -hmm. I maybe, you know, I would have just been another patient, which I'm sure that the care is tremendous there too. Mm -hmm. But I was, you know, our treated in a little five South was the, the cancer floor at the hospital. And I knew every nurse and oh. 
they they knew that when I was getting admitted for chemo that my mom was coming with me and they made sure that we got our own room because she was not leaving and she was going to spend the night on that couch with me. So yeah, that's kind of like the overview. I mean, we, we went in and they found tumors in my neck, breast and stomach. And I remember at the time my oncologist didn't like diagnose me with a stage. And later I had asked him and he was like, yeah, that was stage four because it was wow. multiple places. Um, I think they just didn't want to like freak us out. It but had already started spreading. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it was stage four non-Hodgkin's Burkitt's lymphoma, which is an aggressive type of lymphoma. And that's why I had to start chemo right away because, yeah. but thankfully with an aggressive type, they spread quickly, but they die quickly. So Oh, wow. We had six months of chemo, and then I was told I was in remission. <laughs> wow. Okay. So much <laughs> there. <laughs> no, it's okay. So much there, and we'll unpack that. Um, yeah. But I need to rewind first because we, I was just so happy to chat with you. I skipped, <laughs> I accidentally <laughs> skipped one of my main questions. And so we, you know, chatted about you knowing my cousins and reminding me that you went to MIQ with oh, them, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, which for those who don't know what MIQ is, it's a private Catholic school in the more, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yep. So tell me a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's really been my whole life. Mm. I mean, my family is also, you know, I grew up Catholic. My We went to church every Saturday night or Sunday morning, depending on if we had sports yeah. on Sunday, then we were going Saturday night. And, you know, faith has always been really important to my family and me. So that was just part of my life growing up. And then yeah. going to MIQ, of course, you learn about that every, every day. You're right. learning about it and it's a part of your education. And then, yeah, I continued on throughout high school did you know that next sacrament and everything and then Mm. college it I feel like you're like you know I've got a church and my parents were in town and (laughs) that that type of thing but I I really do feel like going through that cancer diagnosis and going through any big scary life event like that I feel like with a lot of people it either like make makes you stronger in your faith or you kind of go the other direction and yeah for me, it, it made my face stronger and, and I witnessed it with my family also. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's always, I'm like, think about like, okay, how did I come to know? I'm like, it's just, Jesus has always been there. Like yeah. that's always been a part of my life growing up. And I yeah. hope that I can continue that with my kids too. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to, thanks for, for bearing in my reverse yeah. with me. <laughs> Okay, back to the kind of being tossed around, not or not knowing what it was in the beginning, mm-hmm. like the H. pylori. I remember when you said Barcelona, okay, because I had told you when we chat on the phone, like when mm-hmm. I reactivated my Caring Bridge site for Kat's daughter, um, yours was, it. like my profile was last on your, <laughs> your story. So I was like following. And I remember there was even, correct me if I'm wrong, was there talks that like doctors thought it may have been like, like a parasite or something because you were abroad and then they tested for H. pylori. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, the stomach pains and yeah. then it was like, yeah, you could have picked something up in, in Europe, unwashed yeah. fruit, or it was something like, oh my gosh, you could get the H. pylori from unwashed vegetables and fruit or something. And I was yeah. like, I always picked up strawberries at the market on my way. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> of course picking- I had fruits. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell me you're 21 at this point. Yes, I was 21. Okay. At the time. Mm-hmm. 
Tell me a little bit about having to advocate for yourself in that medical setting. I feel like 21, right? Young 21-year-old girl, that's such an age where, unfortunately, there's not always the best care in the medical setting. Like, uh, we hear, oh, you're too much, or you're making these symptoms up, right? Or you're going to get, like, pushed away and not really heard. So what was that like for you to have to continue to advocate for yourself for more testing? Definitely a learning experience. And now I am like, I will go to a doctor and be like, nope, this is what I need. But yeah, yeah, at the time, it was really difficult because I had never like gone through anything like that. And so, you know, we went to a doctor that that we really trusted. And I mean, they did everything that they could. And so they sent us to this oncologist in Fresno. And I remember going there with my parents. Yeah. And he walks in and he goes, well, I didn't read. He goes, I didn't look at your scan but I'm reading the report here. And now I know that that's probably normal. But at the time we were like, what do you mean you didn't look at my scan? Yeah. We were like, okay, like, what are you doing then? How do you even know (laughs) what to, and so like, and then he said something else and we just were like, that was such a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. Like we walked out of there, like what the heck? And so that was like my first inkling, I guess, of being like, we need to do something else. Like we need another opinion. We need to go somewhere else. And, um, you know, luckily then, once we ended up in Santa Barbara, everything like happened so quickly. But I do remember even and you know, that that day of everything happening is such a blur because they had given Mm. me so many pain meds. But I remember like a doctor, even the doctor that in the ER that diagnosed me was like, well, we're, we're thinking maybe we should bring in pediatrics. Hmm. but but you're 21 and it was like they didn't really know what to do with me I was like this in between and then they're like did you play sports growing up like were you able to drive like asking me all these weird questions and I was like my parents were like yes she's been healthy like she's you know like this is a shock to us and Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I've learned a lot through that experience, definitely. I mean, now it's like, well, now I just have a million doctors after the fact. But even like going into the hospital when my water broke, they almost sent me home. And I was like, no, you need to test it again. I swear, if that was my water breaking, I'm not going home. Yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking. Like the amount you have to learn to advocate for medical needs when you're a mom or for your, you know, children. I'm so glad you have that skill now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hearing you, especially them not knowing how to treat you, like, is this a child or is this an adult? I think what, I guess in a way, like what a blessing you were kind of teetering that in between and have the community of your parents. And I'm just like, thank God they were there with you because I work out of college now and A, your brain is not fully developed at 21 as a female (laughs) and B, a lot of these kids are barely learning how to make like dentist appointments or order grow grocery shopping like you're really just on the cusp of learning really formative life skills and to be put in this situation I'm sure was terrifying yeah yeah it was and then I mean there was also a point of then I almost you know I was going into my senior year of college so like Mm -hmm. I had been living on my own ish Mm -hmm. you know in college yeah and then you're back home and I was like fully living with my parents again and then it's like yeah kind of and then like almost you know having to accept like okay and also like I need to be taken care of again almost like a Mm -hmm. child you know I mean because I was I was at that point where like I I was in a relationship at the time 
time. But I mean, that also wasn't like a marriage where it's right. like you would expect that person to come and kind of become your caretaker. Yeah, it's like yeah. my parents stepped into that role of, of my caregiver. And that wow. was an adjustment too. you know, it was like such this weird time of like, even just relearning that like, okay, now I'm back living with my parents again. And they're like taking care of me. Wow. Um, which I'm so grateful for, you know, unfortunately, I know not everybody has yeah. that. But um, yeah, it's just it was just an adjustment, just that time in your life. And then you like take a step back almost. Yeah. You know, get healthy. But <laughs> almost what I hear you saying is you lose your health and then you lose that autonomy. And it almost sounds like there was some shame in that almost or embarrassment. Like my friends get to continue and boyfriend essentially at the time get to continue to grow and, and live a college life and eventually graduate. And I feel like I'm regressing, which you so yeah. weren't. But, you know, that's right. what that feels like. Yeah. And that's like totally something, which is why I'm, I'm always like any chance I can like to talk about the experience of a young adult cancer patient, because there's so much more, you know, you're not a little kid mm -hmm. and you're not, you know, a elderly person, which is usually what people think of. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you have most of the time your friends say mean well, but they don't really know how to check in on you. They don't really know either. You feel like so isolated. You see the rest of the world continue on like, and wow. even this was 2016, which I mean, I had social media and stuff, but I feel like it was nothing like it is right, right. now. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, dang, I'm missing the football games. And like, mm -hmm. it, it was just hard, you know, it, isolating is like yeah. the only word I feel like that you could use to describe it because you're just kind of stuck in this you yeah. know, pod. And that's how, that's how I was. Cause I would, even after treatment, we would go back mm -hmm. to Pismo and it was like, okay, avoid movie theaters, avoid crap. Like, you know, if we wanted to go to farmer's market, like we couldn't because there's mm -hmm. too many people. It was like essentially how COVID was for a lot of people. Like wow. that's how my life was in between treatments when I wasn't in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was, it was just hard adjusting to that. And then, I mean, I always, for me, it was a lot harder after the fact too, because then it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you're done. And then it was like, I don't know how to like go back. And then it's like, you kind of are like, oh, my life's going to go back to normal, but it's not, mm -hmm. it's never going to be what it was before. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that span of time. I know you said you went in and um, treatment started within 24 hours, mm -hmm. which we'll get to some things about that later on. But yeah, walk me through what treatment looked like for you. Yeah, so I had six months, so it was eight rounds, and all of my treatment was inpatient. So I would go into the hospital and get admitted, and that was because I would get 24-hour and 12-hour chemo bags. So each round, well, it was eight rounds, but they kind of called it four rounds with an A and a B. <laughs> mm. So I would go in for that and then basically would just make myself cozy in the hospital. My, I, my mom had some pictures. We would set my pictures up, and that would be my room for about a week at a time. And then, yeah, mostly I had all the chemo bags and then I had one each round of intrathecal. So I would have to go get a spinal tap. That was my least favorite of them all. And you had to lay flat for like four or five hours after or something. So you don't get the headaches of it because they pull fluid out of your spine. Mm. So yeah, eight rounds of that. And then towards the end, so I did a scan halfway through and the cancer was gone, but the protocol is to continue on the other half to kill anything that's microscopic. Mm -hmm. So then those, those last four rounds were the toughest because there wasn't mm -hmm. much left, you know? 
So does that mean that's just like attacking your healthy body? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So I would go, you know, would be there for a week, would get to go back. I would go home. When I say home, I was just going to Pismo Yeah, and then would be there for maybe a day or two and then end up back in the hospital because of an infection. So I spent a lot of time in that hospital towards the end. And then, you know, then my doctor would just kind of keep me there until my counts were high enough again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would be able to go home. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was not easy. Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. Can you give us some insight? When you think of cancer, I think it's always something people wonder how they would get through if they were faced with it. Can you give us some insight on what kept you going mentally? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I kind of mentioned this, but when they were like, okay, you have cancer, I do remember feeling like, okay, at least we know what it is, like relief. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, here's the plan. And and this is, you know, what, and I'm, I'm a planner and my family mm-hmm. were planners. And so it was like, okay, this is our protocol. But if your body doesn't react like it should, then there's going to be something else that we're going to do. And, you know, that was hard for us because then we want, especially me, I was like, I want to know what day we're starting everything and what day I'm finishing everything. And it was like, well, it depends because if you have a reaction or something Mm -hmm. happens, but anyway, so, so that was, you know, okay, here we go. This is the plan. Let's do it. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is what we're doing. To me, there was like no other option. Yeah. And then, you know, like I said, like we've always been a pretty religious family. And so it was like, hey, we were just going to pray. And I remember on the caring bridge thing, somebody had wrote that like in church that night that I was in the prayers of the faithful. They said, you know, we're praying for Kristen and that the lights like went down in church or they, I don't know if they like flickered or what it was, but I remember someone writing on the caring bridge like that. God is with you. Like we're like, there's so, there's a community of people praying for you. And I feel like that really uplifted me. Like just kind of knowing that I, that I had that and, and I, when people have asked me before, like, how'd you get through it? I'm like, I practice gratitude with like every single morning I woke up and I thanked God for letting me wake up. And I would, even on my worst days when I would be just like crying and like mad that I was there, it was like, well, I'm thankful that I have my family here. I'm thankful I have a team of great doctors and great nurses. And even if that was all that I was thankful for, like I always tried to focus on something good that was going on instead of dwelling in the like, this sucks. I wish I was not here and going through this. Yeah. And I've always heard, I don't know if this is accurate, so you can help me out, that there's research behind the gratitude, I guess. Is that something that your doctors advised you or encouraged you to do? I've always heard that there's some research or data that shows a connection in like people's mindset and survival rates. Is that a thing? I, I have read the same thing, but okay. no one really said anything like that to wow. me. But I do think like, for the most part, I always tried to keep a more positive attitude. So I'm like, maybe if I was not positive and smiling and whatever that they might right. have like, mentioned that to me, but all the nurses, I remember walk, like a few pa- other patients would be like, I love it when you when you're walking the halls oh. and you smile at me. Like there was just yeah. things like that. But you know, it's like, well, <laughs> we're here we're gonna try to make the best of it, I guess. <laughs> and that's what, like I said, being, you know, subscribed to your caring bridge, remembering that your family would post photos even of just you like laying in bed with your blanket I can like see (laughs) these pictures still um and did you guys have bracelets or something 
Yeah. Okay. I make bracelets. Yes. Okay. I can see these pictures. But yeah, hearing you talk about, I mean, obviously, there's physical pain. There are very low moments that happen in there and very hard moments, echoing everything that all those other patients were saying. You looked genuinely so bright and (laughs) your smile still had a joy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like just being kind of in that situation, you know, I and I feel like my whole life I had kind of been that way. Like yeah. I always am like, well, look at look at it this way. I'm like try to find the positive in it, which probably annoyed some people, but like that's just <laughs> that was kind of my mindset. Yeah. You know, but there were times where, which it happened more at the end, where someone yeah. was like, it's okay to like break down and cry, you know, like yes. it's okay for it to not be okay. And yeah, and that that's something I always tell other people too, that I find like if they just recently got diagnosed, I'm like, mm. listen, like keep a, keep a good mindset, but like also don't do it to the point where it's driving you crazy. And mm. like, it's okay to not be okay sometimes, but yeah. just don't dwell in it. Cry it out, do whatever you need to do. And then wake up the next day with like, here we go. <laughs> another day we're gonna have a good attitude move forward yeah you have to hold that space for the grief and the loss and sorrow and all of those tough tough painful emotions yeah definitely (laughs) so you're getting through and like you said the the scans look good but the protocol is that you have to continue on and go through these last rounds what did that time look like for you a lot of time in the hospital. Um, that was actually I had yeah that I remember that scan that was halfway was like in August and then we did one more round and then I went home home back to Lamar my sister's wedding and so wow. the doctors were really great about that too it was like we told them from the beginning this is my sister's wedding I'm not missing it wow. so the way like that one round worked out you know so then it was like okay it was enough time after finishing it and then we went back was at my sister's wedding and then the next week I remember I was like, okay, we're going back. We're starting my second to last round of chemo. But my then we go and my counts weren't high enough. And it was just like, oh, I just remember feeling like almost defeated. Like, yeah. I just want to start this next round and like get it over with. I was hopeful that I could be done by Thanksgiving. Yeah. And they were like, nope, we're going to wait one more week and push you back. So I was like, okay. And then ended up doing that round. And then I think I had one more round after that. It was the same thing. It was like, well, then I got an infection. So I was back in the hospital and Mm. then it was like, we want you to enjoy Thanksgiving. So then we'll give you another week. But it was a lot of then almost anxiousness of like, okay, we're almost done. Like, Mm -hmm. I just want this to be over. Yeah, (laughs) Like we're so close and just being really ready to be done with it and kind of close that chapter and move on. Yeah. Um, That's not really what happened after, but in my mind, Mm. that's what was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear this piece in you that you keep mentioning that I'm a planner and I like to know the steps. I like to know the process. How do you think God worked on that part of you throughout this? Because I hear you saying like, that is not what happened. Things did not go according to plan afterwards. Yeah, I feel like he definitely gave me patience. And Mm. it was just kind of that learning to be patient and trusting that the doctors were doing what was best for me and Mm. letting go of that control and being like, hey, this is not up to me. And, you know, like, ultimately, my body needs to be ready for that next round of chemo. So like, yeah. 
we have to do that, then we have to do that. And I, I think that, yeah, like big picture, it's like in that experience, learning to really trust things and, and let things go and know like you cannot control everything. Yeah. And a lot of like focusing on what's really important. Like that was yeah. something I learned a lot throughout that experience. That was tough too, going back to school and like people complaining about just the silliest things. And you're like, you have not, like, don't mm. even, and it wasn't even like a, don't complain about that to me. It was just like, right. you don't even, you should be happy that that's what you're complaining about, you know? Mm. And I feel like that was a lot of, that was a big learning experience too, that I've, you know, come out of that. I, and you know, I'm not human now that it gets further away. It's like, I find myself sometimes right. everyone complains or whatever. And then I'm like, that is so mm. trivial, so unimportant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Learning really what, what's important and, and kind of just trusting that this is where my life is going and this is happening for a reason and kind of just going along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. I love that you said he gave you peace about your care team. That's something Kat and I were chatting about a little bit too, just that tension of being a Christian and knowing that ultimately like God is my healer. And also I am in a place where I am having to trust the the doctors. Yeah. But that God is is even above all of that. That is such a difficult place to be. And, and so I just think it's so cool to hear you say that you found peace in that and mm-hmm. actually really trusted them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you're in that, you know, we have no medical background, like, right. I'm like, I have no clue. So it's just kind of like, okay, like, we're just, we're really trusting you with, with yeah. what you have to say. And I'm not questioning yeah. much at all. And yeah, <laughs> you just go with it. And well, but I, it sounds like a, com- like a complete surrender of that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But I mean, and I say this all the time too. Like I just, the staff there was just so wonderful and mm-hmm. Like I still, until COVID, I would still go, every time I was there, I would like go into the hospital and be like, hi, like just like, say hi to the nurses <laughs> oh, and everyone. Oh my gosh. And like, wanted to see who's working. And I follow some of them on Instagram and stuff. Like they, I mean, the doctors are great too, but you know, when you're admitted right. to the hospital, like the nurses are the ones that you're right. seeing all the time. And some of them would just like come into my room. Like I remember one time when I was back in there for an in- another infection, it was just like not a good time. One of my nurses came in and her, her day off and like brought me this whole it was a yellow bag everything yellow to like make me smile like yellow the yellow M&Ms and like a camp I don't even remember what was in it but it was just like they were so sweet and like that helped bring comfort I think too it was like I just knew that I was being well taken care of Wow, that's amazing. The yellow. So I think that's always this weird, awkward spot when someone we know and love is suffering. We don't always have the words. And you know, you mentioned that like, I'm 21, my friends mean well, but like, we don't we don't know how to deal with this. Right. But it seems like even if the words aren't great, or (laughs) the words are a little off. They could have been better. (laughs) Just the thought or just the attempt of trying to show up for you was was what mattered. Can you speak to maybe what was helpful, either if it was things people said or did? I I mean, I love the basket. Like I said, the nurse (laughs) knew what she was doing. (laughs) She got it right. But I imagine throughout that whole time, not everybody did get it right and how they showed up for you. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think part of it was extra difficult because my college friends were all the way in Washington, but then I wasn't even home like in Fresno for my friends that were here. I was over at the coast. So it was like, it was really hard because nobody really visited me. Mm. 
And then, you know, when I was in Pismo, even that was difficult. I had to be really careful about who came around because I needed to make sure I didn't get sick. And so I don't remember what people had texts. Like, I don't remember what they said to me, but I remember, and I also have a good memory, but like, I remember (laughs) the people that text me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what mattered to me is like, they were trying, even someone just saying like, Hey, I'm thinking of you, like hang in there. I remember one of my sister's good friends had sent me like this super long message. It was just, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was so encouraging and uplifting on like a day that I was having a really bad day. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, Lauren, did you tell Anne like that I'm back in the hospital and that this is happening? She was like, no, I go, gosh, her mess. Like, so it's like, you never Mm -hmm. know really. And also like, especially with a cancer diagnosis, I tell people that are friends or, you know, know of someone. It's like so many people reach out to you at the very beginning and you feel like all the love and support. Yeah. And then after a couple months, it's like silence. Yeah. <laughs> so I always am like, remember to check in on that friend again and yeah. that person like two or three months after that initial diagnosis, because that's when they'll start to feel the loneliness. Yes. Um, kind of set in. And I mean, you can't really say to someone like, let me know what you need. You have to just say like, I'm going to bring you food or I'm going to get yeah. food sent to your house or I'm going to That's out of their capacity. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. You know, if they have kids, that's a whole other situation that, you know, like trying to help out with that. But mm-hmm. I always just think even if you don't have the right words to send a message because it lets them know that you're thinking of them. And I mean, I remember that. I remember the people that reached out to wow. me and made an effort. That's so encouraging to hear as as those on the other side, even if you don't know what to say or if it's not perfect, just just show just try. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> and I think the person that you're talking about that sent you that long message, she had also experienced some real grief in her life mm-hmm. and loss. So there are a few people that may be able to relate in some way. And like you yeah. said, you know, their words would feel a bit more comforting, but also the ones who don't. Even if you try it, it matters too. Yep, exactly. Mm. <laughs> exactly. So you you finished that treatment and then mm-hmm. you were done. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. So December 1st was my last day of chemo and I went back in January for my PET scan. So it was my my final PET scan. And um, then the next day, you know, we go over the results and he was like, okay, everything's good. You're good to go. And I had packed up my car and I literally drove back to Washington after that appointment. Oh my and goodness. I think my You're mom like, cried. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because she was like, oh, no, you're like going back. And we had, spent, you know, like I had mentioned, my mom was in the hospital with me every single yeah. night. And then and you like, said I, August. So it would have essentially been you took a semester off then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my and gosh. I, wow. I always like, again, God's timing, like it, it worked out perfectly that it, I was able to just miss the one semester. And yeah. Then, It didn't end up being like a whole year um, because of the way everything worked out. And so I did take a couple online classes while I was going through chemo because I was like, I want to graduate. I don't want to have to stay another semester. Mm. And my college advisor was great. And she like got a few things switched around for me. Wow. Yeah. So after my doctor was like, your PET scan was clear. You're good to go. See you in three months. Got in the car and drove back to school. And oh then my goodness. I, I finished out the semester, walked with all my friends, and then I stayed for the first summer session to finish up the credits that I needed. Oh, <laughs> so you even graduated your intended graduation year. You didn't even yeah. go to the next year. Oh my goodness. Yep. 
Wow. And then like, it just worked out. I was home for spring break. So then that's when mm-hmm. I went and did my three month checkup. And then again, when I finished, I think I want to say I was back home again by the beginning of June because we were semester. So mm-hmm. then the summer session right. looked like all of May. That is wild. Well, yeah, I think I knew you missed a semester. And I think in my head, you went back and finished eventually I I didn't recognize it was just right on time yep wow okay I love also that we're chatting amongst the anniversary dates of one you just talked a little bit about how gratitude is so important to you and you know with with the holiday season coming up and that December one date being right around the corner of your last chemo anniversary yeah. And then your remission anniversary following in, in January. What do you guys, do you celebrate both? Um, I kind of, honestly, the December one, I kind of like forget about because okay. like we really celebrate the January one. And then because I actually started chemo on June 1st, I feel like wow. that that day always, over the years it hasn't, but like at first it, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like this was the day that this all started Yeah, last year or two years, you know? Uh-huh. And I think this year was the first year that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, that date passed. And I, I really didn't think about it, huh. but that day was something more that I kind of, I don't want to say celebrated, but it was like, okay, yeah, it was a more important date, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in, in January, we do something, you know, my, my parents would do a little party for me every year. Yeah. And then for my five year, my mom was like, we're going to do a big party. And then, and then I'll stop with all the big parties. <laughs> so, so we did that. And then last year we just, I was like, let's just do dinner with my family, mm-hmm. with my sisters and, and their husbands. And so we'll probably keep it more, keep it more low key. There, there were a few years um, in between that where it was like, I want to say it was maybe like my third year we were celebrating that I was like I didn't want to do anything there Mm. were people kind of in our community that had passed away of cancer that year Mm. and I mean I I know you know it was Anne Marie Mm. and she was I really didn't know them but she was getting treated at Santa Barbara too and sometimes she would be there and she would pop into my room if I was going through chemo and would just just another person that checked on me and so that year I think that was around winter too I want to say and then someone else that I had known had passed away of cancer and it was I felt like so guilty I was like I don't want to celebrate this when there's so many people that we know and that's like another thing with survivor's guilt survivorship is like the survivor's guilt of like mm. It's tough. Like, I'm like, I feel like I'm like rubbing this in, you know, but it it shouldn't make someone's survivorship any less meaningful, but it was hard to kind of work through that. Mm. Why am I here? And they're not, they deserve to to live and beat it. And like, how come I did? And I don't have kids, you know, it was like, I didn't have, so that was a lot. Some years were heavy because it was like, yeah, okay, here, here we go. But I really felt the the guilt of that, but kind of part of the journey. How have you been working through that? Um, you know, I did start going to therapy. Uh, I remember being Shout like, out therapy. Yeah, I remember there was a point where it was like, I need I feel like I never really accepted a lot of things. You know, mm. it was kind of like, like I said, I literally got in the car and drove back to school. And it was like, yeah, just let this my is, life go this back is to behind normal. me. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, I needed to really process everything that I had gone through. And so that helped a lot. 
And I mean, I just, it's something that I'm like learning to work with every day. I mean, right. if, even in, in my job, when you hear about someone mm. that passes away, like it's hard, it, it weighs on me, but I just yeah. have to, again, kind of have faith and think, okay, like, you know, there is a reason that I'm still here. And, you know, I advocate, I, I fundraise as part of my job because I want more research to be done. And like, I yeah. like always say, I would love to see the day that everybody could be their cancer like I did. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's something that I think I'll forever struggle with because it's hard. It's really hard not to question that. Oh, or like it was a little kid or like that was a mom. Mm -hmm. And, but I just kind of pray and I'm thankful that I'm here and pray for all the people that, Mm -hmm. you know, aren't in their families and again, kind of surrendering. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We talked about remission. Tell me what that word means to you, whether it's when you first heard it, you're officially in remission now, or, you know, as like you said, you you sit with it and celebrate it these past few years while holding that tension of grief for other families who didn't have the same story. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for everyone, it's so different for me. Like I forever have health issues because of the chemo, like my immune system never recovered. So I, you know, it's like, yes, I'm in remission and, you know, I celebrate it and I'm, yeah. I'm so thankful for that, but I'm like, I'm not, I wouldn't really describe myself as healthy. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, I have weekly injections that I have to do because my body doesn't produce antibodies anymore. And I have like this chronic cough that I struggle with and getting sinus infections and kind of, it's so funny because it was like, you're in remission, like see you in three months. And then it was like, okay, another three months. And then my oncologist was like, okay, then then we'll just have to see you once a year. And I've, I still haven't gotten to that point. I think this mm. is the first year that I'm going a full year seeing him because it was just always something that was popping up and then I was going back. And so now I, now I think I have five doctors over there. <laughs> so I'm just kind of, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm intermission and I celebrate it, but there's still, there's still a lot that it's not an end all fix all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And for I think for some people, like it just takes a year or so and then their bodies bounce back. And I wish so badly that I was one of those people, but it didn't work out for me that way. So yeah, it's just something that will probably be the rest of my life. And I you know, work hard to stay healthy. And for the longest time too, I was like, well, at least it's not, at least my cancer's not back. You know, at least I'm still in remission. But then I had to all kind of at that same time with like the survivor's guilt. It was like, that was when I found out that I needed to start the injections and stuff. And it was like, you know what? Like, honestly, this kind of sucks. And so I had to work through that too. And now it's like, okay, this is, this is just part of my life and, and, and what my health is going to look like, but I still celebrate the wins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And is that part of the I know you had said like, I was hoping to leave that day and and be done. And that's not what that story looked like. Is that part of that? Yeah, definitely. And you know, the Oh, I'll just see my oncologist once a year. And it's like, Nope, I've I've had a few scares in, in between there where then we do another PET scan. And thankfully, I've still been in remission this whole time. But yeah, the the immune system part has been the, the hardest part and just weekly injections there. I mean, it takes about an hour and a half and I get to do them at home, but it's just ugh, it's just a pain. <laughs> yeah. You talked about the scans and I know within your work and in advocating, you talked a little bit about scan. I'm like, I'm going to yes. mess it up. Scan anxiety. <laughs> Anxiety. Anxiety. 
Yeah, well, there's a lot leading up to these scans. Like the night before, you have to drink the barium sulfate and the milkshake drink, which was not a milkshake. And so then you're, you know, you're doing that the night before you can't eat and go in and it's just a process, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of like thinking about it and sitting and waiting and then being like, okay, like I'm sure everything's fine. You just kind of keep telling yourself. And then a couple of years ago, actually, I think it was last year when I had to do another scan. So I had a swollen lymph node. It's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been back in here in a while. And it's like, you're just in that. And it just reminds you of all the things. Right you felt and like how you were when you were going through it and getting those scans. And it's just like, wow. Yeah, just that anxiety of having to do it all again, and just hoping that everything's fine afterwards. And similar to similarly to that was COVID triggering for you and in that same way of the isolation. And yeah, I think just isolation from (laughs) from others. Yeah, definitely. Like when all of that was starting and it was like, okay, keep away from people and avoid crowds and all of that. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what my life was like four years ago. And it's like, oh, I have to go through this again. Like, Mm. ah, but it was, and I just remember in a way being like, now the world knows what cancer patients have to go through. Wow. But then at the same time, the people that were going through a cancer diagnosis at that time, like how much scarier it probably was for them with like that fear and unknown of like this extra virus, you know, and, right. and how much more isolated they probably felt compared to, you know, if it were a year before. Yeah. What was that a threat for you? I just having a compromised immune system. Yeah. At first I, like my doctors were like, yeah, you need to be really careful. And, and I was like, I was really scared, but you know, with, there were so many factors too because with my with my specific immune deficiency that I have now I'm really susceptible to sinus infections and pneumonia so like Mm. respiratory Mm -hmm. no it could have developed into something more too but then at one point it was like oh well it's the overactive immune systems that are causing all this so I was like maybe I'm okay because my Mm. immune system isn't that great (laughs) but I actually did end up back in the hospital having I don't even know some doctors thought it was COVID pneumonia another doctor was like I think this was just bad pneumonia your lungs don't look like either we're not wow. really sure <laughs> wow but yeah I mean it, it was scary and anytime something weird happens you know still almost seven years later it's like yeah. oh, that was a weird pain in my stomach is that how mm. it felt when I first had those stomach pains you know it's like it's mm. so hard to not go back right oh gosh like no that was <laughs> that was normal <laughs> yeah yeah it was a major trauma mm-hmm. definitely Part of that, I know you said it happened so quick and that kind of led to you not being able to fully process. You mentioned that treatment started within 24 hours. And I know something you talk about is for that specific age, the the young adolescents, there's a lot of decisions that would affect you lifelong that you need to make in those 24 hours before you start treatment. One being fertility and potentially freezing your eggs or sperm if you're a man. And that was something you did not get to do. Right. So I do remember my doctor, my oncologist brought it up. Okay. But he was like, you have to start chemo. You don't have the time to do that. And of course, at the time, I didn't know that it was like such a process either. But he was like, we're at the point of your bowels almost obstructing. So like, we have to start chemo now we have to treat these tumors. And he was like, I'm going to give you this shot that will basically put your body in menopause and try to protect, you know, the eggs that you do have. And it's kind of like that, that was my option. That was it. (laughs) But 
not everyone's cancer diagnosis goes that way, which is, you know, again, something that I'm like, anyone that I know, I'm always like, hey, like, if you have the time, do it and freeze, or at least if that's something you want to do, like right. try to freeze your eggs, because if you're wanting kids doctors, in the future, yeah, yeah. And sometimes your doctors won't think to ask you that if they're used to treating older people, or, or if they're used to just treating kids, they may not even know to do this for you. Mm-hmm. So again, having to advocate for yourself and make yeah. sure that you get that done if it's something you want. Yeah. So you had that one, like you said, one shot, one option, almost a Hail Mary in a sense of a shot at at fertility. Did you Mm -hmm. think much about, I know you said you were in a relationship at the time, even though I know, like you said, you weren't married or anything. So I don't (laughs) think kids are on your radar at that very moment. But the years after, did you wonder about what fertility challenges you would have? Yeah, it weighed on me a lot, even during chemo. Like I remember sometimes crying to my mom being like, I just have this feeling that this is going to affect my fertility and that I won't be able to have kids in the future. And I don't, I I don't know why. And she would say like, Kristen, why, why are you thinking about that so much? I was like, I don't know. I just like, it just kept coming. I just kept having this feeling that it was going to affect that. And, you know, I do, I had asked my oncologist a few times and he was like, no, like everything should be okay. And then even after the fact doing like a pet scan like a year later and stuff mm-hmm. he's like hey i can see that you're ovulating like that's great news you know wow like, you shouldn't be worried about this and but i still was i was still worried about it yeah and then i was single and so again kids weren't on my radar but mm-hmm. it was something that always concerned me and i found a doctor that specialized in women's health post chemo yeah. In San Francisco. And I go, I'm making an appointment and I'm going to see this doctor. And I was like, I just want to run tests. I just yeah. want to see if everything looks normal. Like, I just don't know. And she totally validated my feelings and was like, you have every right to do this and yeah. to make like to just test and see where you're at. And so I found out that my AMH levels are um, really low. And so then I ended up at another doctor over there. And he was like, Yeah, like based on everything, like, so AMH basically, like measures your egg reserve. So he was like, it's very likely that you could end up starting menopause in your mid to late 30s. Right. So it was like, okay, yeah, basically like, and and this is something, there's this organization called Stupid Cancer and they put on Mm. a cancer con every year. And I remember one of the sessions, it was this bell curve graph. And it's like, this is a um, woman's average, you know, fertility and egg count at the peak. And then it slowly goes down. And this um, speaker was like, we don't know how chemo affects that. Like we, Mm. there's just not enough data out there and so I remember thinking about that and so it's like well that's how it affected me now my (laughs) my span is much shorter okay and so again you know it was just like okay well that's not you know necessarily the great news not great news for me but I was like it's also not not super discouraging like okay then I ended up freezing my eggs I went through the process of it and because of my low egg count I was only able to get two and then I was like well let's just have two and then shortly after I did that, I got engaged. And so then it was like, okay, well, let's just wait, you know, once we get married, you know, we'll, we'll start trying right away and see what happens. And luckily, and thankfully, we I was able to get pregnant really easily. And yeah, here we are and we're so blessed and thankful for our little guy. <laughs> That's so amazing. I'm so happy for you guys. And uh, if if it wasn't clear to listeners, these were not the eggs she had to freeze. This was you guys just (laughs) got pregnant. 
I don't know the word. I, I need to be more, or I want to be. Like, naturally is the only thing that's coming to my mind, but I know I don't think that's the appropriate word. I need. To, I want to be more sensitive to the community <laughs> out here, but I just don't know another way. Don't know the, the terminology <laughs> yeah. here, but praise God, all to yes. say, praise God, because that's amazing. Yes. And then no complications with your pregnancy or birth or anything, right? Nope, nope. Besides, you know, I had a few things just with having to deal with my immune system. Mm. And, you know, a lot of, I think, worry at the beginning of my pregnancy too. And, you know, it's like, I just want to make sure that I'm able to nourish this baby, that my body... I had to really practice being like, my body can do this. There's a reason I am pregnant. Yeah. I can grow this baby. Yeah. You know, like I was so nervous Affirmation, about, yeah. Yes, yes. And it was like, I was really nervous about just making sure that he was going to be healthy and that most moms are like, oh, like they're so safe inside me, which I felt mm. that too. But I was like, I just want to make sure that wow. like, he has an immune system. And, you know, I had a lot of worries and like questions about that, that were hard to find answers for <laughs> with my immune deficiency. But mm-hmm. as far as we know, he's, he- he's healthy and his immune system should be working fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you just said with the uh, terminology you're hearing from other moms, like inside of me is the safest place I could be. That was almost backwards from your experience because you were like, actually, my body has not been a safe place for me. And I've been through a lot with my body. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but everything, yeah, everything was good. We had a fairly easy pregnancy and then he was breached. So I did have a C-section, and, but I mean, everything went as smooth as possible, I feel yeah. like. So how was the hospital experiences and just care throughout pregnancy and, and birth, obviously? Was, was that triggering at all for you? Actually, no, I, I was a little nervous about like going back to like right. getting admitted into the hospital and kind of right. thing. But I think just because I delivered at Clovis Community, so it's like was not even the same hospital. You yeah. Know? So I don't think I had a lot of those feelings. Yeah. And I was just so excited and happy. Yeah. And I was like focusing on on those feelings. And it was mm. kind of like, I forgot I was even there. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, tell me a little bit about how you and your fiance got together i imagine well one i know you guys had went had gone to high school together but there's this whole time like you said that i am going through treatment and select people are showing up for me friendships are changing relationships are changing what does that look like for you guys getting reconnected yeah so that when i moved back to lamore after college um jaime my husband was living in long beach he had moved down to long beach so we went to high school together like you said and then he moved to long beach after high school and we kind of stayed friends in college but mm-hmm. i actually don't really know that we talked really that that much <laughs> even like i don't i don't think we really talked much at all i think maybe he had texted me like one time and that was yeah. kind of it and then after when i moved back into back to Lamar, his little sister's cancer came back. Mm-hmm. And so he was coming to Lamar all the time. And I just remember being like, Hey, like, if you ever want like a place to hang out and or someone to talk to, like I'm here. And I like, I remember he had called me and told me about his sister too. And 
And so then we just kind of started spending time together because he was in town and and then we just ended up just deciding to start dating. It was kind yeah. of like, I remember he was like, kind of like pursuing me. And then I was like, no, we should stay friends. And then I was like, I changed my mind. I think we should date. And, <laughs> just and kidding. Then, yeah. And then he ended up moving back to Lamore. And um, yeah, then a few more years passed and we got engaged and here we are. <laughs> wow. So you guys were bonding then through this shared experience at the time of she was actively in treatment at that time so she when she was younger i think she was seven she had brain cancer and so then in i guess that was 2017 then it came back and so it actually was pretty progressed already so she Mm. i think did just a little bit of treatment and then it was just kind of keeping her home and comfortable And then I think it was 2019 then when she passed away. And that was, I think that same year. And that was all that year where I didn't want to celebrate. celebrate. I, there's so much loss, you know, going on around me and, you know, she was another one and it was like, gosh, she was 21. (laughs) And um, so sorry, like not fair, but Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, him and I went through that together and you know, it's tough, but his family is amazing. And and so they've, yeah, we've just kind of part of life. (laughs) Mm. So as I hear us use that word cancer, it means a lot of different things to your family. And even Mm -hmm. now your family of the three of you, your husband and your son now, it's a complex word, yet you are still so active within the cancer community. It's not really something you've shied away from. Right. Can you talk about just the complexities of that reminder and and how you get up every day and and serve the population and dive right into the community around you? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, I love sharing my story and, and I have a blood cancer or had a blood cancer. And so the organization I work for is blood cancer organization. And I always say, I feel so fortunate that I got my diagnosis and the doctors were like, this is what we're doing because this is what's worked. And this is what, Mm -hmm. these are the treatments and everything. And I had six months of it and I was done. And I'm like, I just want everyone to have that kind of experience. And so my job is technically in fundraising. And so, you know, I share my story, but I'm also asking people to donate to this organization Mm. because we are funding research that will hopefully, you know, and and cure is such a hard word because Mm. before being in it, I remember thinking like, there's got to be a cure for cancer, you know, Mm. like it's got to be out there, but yeah. It's so complex because there is like technically for my type of cancer, there is a cure because there was this treatment plan and it worked, but it might not work for somebody else if their body doesn't react the way that it should because of these intense chemicals. (laughs) And part of, you know, with our job, it's like we're investing so much in immunotherapies and like not only coming up with treatment options, but better treatment options. So that way people don't have these long lasting side effects like me and, you know, blood cancers are so common in children. And so it's like they're getting treated with these intense things. And so that is so meaningful and purposeful to me to be a part of that, that it's like I am working for this organization that is hopefully going to be changing and we see it and and Mm. things every day with new treatments that are coming out and hearing these survivorship stories. And I'm a part of this that's hopefully changing the way that people get treated and hopefully curing more, more people. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us 
a little bit about your organization and, and the work that you do? Yeah. So we are a nonprofit organization and my job specifically is fundraising, but the money that people donate to LLS gets put directly towards our mission, which there's, we have three pillars to our mission, we say. So the first one being research that I talked about um, and a big priority for LLS right now is our, it's called the Dare to Dream project, but it's Mm. really investing a lot of time and money into finding better cures and better treatment options for children. And then our second Second pillar is advocacy. Like I always say, what good are new treatment options if people can't access them or can't afford them or they like live in a rural area and this treatment option is only in a big city and they can't afford to up and move, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, focusing a lot on making sure that care is accessible for everybody. And then our third pillar is just education and resources. So we, the organization puts on free blood cancer conferences for patients and caregivers. There's young adult group chats, there's caregiver Mm. group chats, and um, just all different ways that we can support patients in the community. And then as well as like financial support for people that are in need. So That's amazing. That was part of my curiosity. Like, what did that support look like for your family and and for you and now you as supporting your husband and and his family? I know you just talked about individual therapy for yourself, but have you guys utilized any of similar, maybe not from, you know, your specific agency, but any other resources that were helpful for you guys? You know, for me, I utilized LLS. I remember I specifically like in my survivorship, I remember some someone, again, maybe it was like a conference or something where they yeah. were like, yeah, especially young adults, you should be given like a survivorship kind of like pamphlet of like, wow. you know, long-term side effects to look for. And, and I knew that I'll have to get my heart checked at a younger age because of mm. the chemo, but that was kind of it. And I remember like being on LLS's website, I could create my, they had all the tools there so I could create my own survivorship plan based on the chemos that I had and, and things like that. And it was super helpful for me in that way. And then our community, the community event that they do like the night I did that. Yeah. That, that October when I was back Wow. and just being there and that experience, they have all the survivors light up a white lantern at the same time. And it was like, mm. oh my gosh, like just feeling that sense of like support of people with you and like other people that have been through it that are standing there with you. Mm-hmm just knowing that was really moving and kind of empowering. And then Stupid Cancer was the other organization that I feel like I went to that conference and that's specific to young adult cancer survivors and patients. And it was like, these people just get it. And it was like, yeah, this is, I had that too. Or like, can you believe, you know, this and that. And again, just that sense of community, I feel like really helped. That's amazing. I will definitely um, link some of those resources in the show notes. How do people find you or, you know, LLS specifically? Yeah, we have, honestly, you could Google LLS, like (laughs) Central Valley. Okay. We have, if it's, you know, someone going through a diagnosis, we have called our information resource center and you would dial that number and they would immediately help like a caregiver or patient just make sure that 
they're asking the right questions to their doctor and that they're on the right track with treatment. And then they would connect you with our local patient community outreach manager. And then she's someone that's here that will just kind of check on you, make sure you're doing okay. And then there's so many resources. They can connect you with, uh, we have nurse navigators, we have like Mm. dietitians. So anyone, and then again, with the other groups and stuff. And then, yeah, so I would say Googling LLS Central Valley. That's like the number one way to to get the information. Connect, awesome, awesome. Okay, I want to go a little bit to motherhood just because I think it's so sweet and I am still just amazed by your story, your birth story with your son. But part of your story is having to be taken care of, going from, you know, a child, obviously a teenager, young woman, and then having caretakers again. How has God redeemed some of that for you through getting to be a caretaker and and mother now to your son? I, you know, I feel like I was so blessed that I had my parents and even my sisters that were there taking care of me. And just, I feel like I've had the best role models. Um, and so it's been, I've been like so excited to be able to now care for, you know, and, and he's almost three months old, you know, still yeah. so little, but it's just like, Hey, sometimes those are the, some of the hardest months. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely challenging times. And so it's like, okay, like Kristen, you remember you've been through a lot worse, like these challenging times I can handle it. And, you know, just, I, every single night when I put him down for bed and give him my little kid. And I lay in bed and I'm just like, I have been just like, no joke every night. I'm like, thank you, God, for giving me a healthy, beautiful baby boy. Thank you for this day. And it almost, I'm almost taken back to those days of how I felt in the hospital. Cause it's like, I would lay down and it was like, okay, I just thank you. Cause I like made it through this day and Aiden has been a very good baby. So <laughs> it hasn't been like anything, you know, but it's sleepless and you're exhausted. And, yeah. and it's just like, okay, there's so many things that I could think about and it's like I just lay down and I just I want to all I want to do is thank God for just giving mm. me this life that like I've dreamt about and I thought that wow. maybe I wouldn't be able to get one day and, and I'm here and I'm just like so thankful for it. Mm, I love that. With motherhood, yes, amazing and beautiful things. And and then there's really hard things and some of the practical things that just having cancer may affect. Can you talk about some of those things and what that's been like for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been really with like my immune system. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I still have to do these injections weekly. And it's like, how am I gonna do this with a newborn? Like, what Mm. the heck? But I can make it work. And either my mother in law comes over or my Mm. mom comes over and helps my husband a little bit. I mean, or we just get through it on our own, you know, and I think that was something, you know, that I was worried about. And then just like, okay, my body just went through this whole like change and I just had a baby. So again, trying to not freak out if there's like something weird happening. Mm. It's like, yes, like, I'm good. And, and this is all just like, my body's kind of going back to normal. And, you know, I've been through all this and just kind of taking extra care of myself. Also, I'm loading up on the vitamins and elderberry and all the things. <laughs> just, yeah, because I'm like, if I'm sick, it's going to be harder to care for him. So just trying to stay on top of that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, it looks like you're doing an amazing job. It was so sweet to see because you guys went to the coast, right? Recently? Yes. Uh Those pictures were (laughs) so special just knowing that Pismo, even though there were some isolating times, it was also almost like your safe haven. 
Yes. During those six months. So to see you now get to share that with your husband now and your son was just so cool to witness. Yes. Yeah. It's like my peace when I go over there. I, I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. Is there any advice you can offer to someone? Either maybe it's not even cancer, but grappling with some difficult news and trying to hold on to their faith, or maybe it is finding themselves with a really scary diagnosis. What encouragement can you give them? I think I, I always tend to tell people to just, again, try your very best to practice gratitude. Mm -hmm. Even if all you can say is thank you that I opened my eyes today, like find something to be thankful for and just try really hard not to dwell on the bad parts of your day and the bad parts of whatever you're going through. And then I always say this too, but, but make sure you feel those feelings when yes. you're having a bad day, like don't just mask it because that will catch up to you. And I know that's the hard way. So like cry it out, vent, do whatever yes. you need to do, but just try not to dwell on it and, and keep moving forward and really lean, lean on your support system because they want to help you. And mm -hmm. you know, whoever that may be for you to lean in on them and use their help and support. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Is there any scripture that you found yourself leaning on or like a life verse that you have? So someone had given me, it's called Jesus Calling, a Jesus yep, Calling yep, book. Yep, the devotional. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, I loved that. I would wake up every morning and read that. And it seemed like whatever I was going through, mm. it was like that spoke to me. And, it, and then my mom had got the app on her phone and then she would be like, did you read it today? Because I feel like this is really relevant to what we're going through. And it was like, yeah, oh my gosh, it is like, okay, I need to not worry about the future. You know, mm. of course that's what. God is telling me today when I'm so worried about whatever's going to happen and yeah. that and and still to this day I've kept that and I obviously I'm not as good about it but I do try to read it every day and I'm Aww. like okay and I have you know certain ones saved that I feel mm. like, like I need to remember this <laughs> saw you through specific times yeah oh I love that you're like thanks mom <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> she knows the day so yeah. did she get to stay you said something about her sleeping on the couch so did she get to stay in your room the whole time yeah yeah wow. so she would uh -huh. and i remember it was like towards the beginning um we got there one time and they go oh well we only have a double room available right now and my mom had her bag and she goes well i'm not leaving usually go back to Pismo, clean the house like the day and then like my dad or my sister or whoever was around to stay with me. And it's funny because I'd be like, Mom, like I'm in good hands. Like we we mm. I could be by myself. And it's like, no, <laughs> we, but you don't need to be. So oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking of the literal miracle of the year that this happened. Cause hearing yeah. the the double room and in the backpack, that would not be the circumstances. COVID, post COVID. Right. And that's so amazing that I'm so glad she got to be with you. I know, me too. That was another thing too that I remember thinking about with COVID. It was like, gosh, you're just, I would have been in there completely by myself. Like that's mm. just, oh, I've just felt so bad for everyone that has to go through it that way. It's 
Yeah. Yeah. So I was very, very lucky and thankful. Like yeah. on the weekends, my whole family was there and <laughs> yeah. we would be like out in the hallway. We don't even all fit in my room. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me and just for being so giving me all of the grace and mercy <laughs> in, in this conversation, because yeah, this is like we said, something that I think for sure every kid grows up hearing, right? The what if someone you know or love gets cancer and fortunately that has not been a part of my or my family's stories and just that inexperience of what do I say what what do I do how do I go about this conversation and I think that you are just such a testament to to God's faithfulness and obviously your survivorship like you said but your attitude you're you're such a joy to be around and like I said extending that grace and to me thank you so much I appreciate it yeah, thank you. That was that was so sweet. I'm I'm so glad that I was able to come on here and share a little bit about it. So thank you. Of course. Okay, so we'll wrap up with three questions. I ask everybody, aka three things I have to know about all my friends. So first, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay, I wanted to be on the radio or do something where I would be talking. I love to talk. So I'm like, hey, this radio. is so perfect. I know. I know. So I'm I like, oh it. my gosh, that was like what I wanted to do. But it yeah. Didn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, well, I'm going to have to have you on again for sure. <laughs> then we'll make this a regular thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And number two, what is a song that instantly puts a smile on your face? Shania Twain, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I am just cackling. We have had so many repeats and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if everyone has the same music taste or these songs are just really classics, but you are the second person that has said that. I love it. That is really funny though. <laughs> no, I know. It's just, hey, but I mean, it's a, it's a woman power song. So yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, what is your favorite way to use olive oil? Okay, so I was thinking about this, but <laughs> I love baking. And so I know normally you don't use olive oil, but I always sub out vegetable oil for olive oil. Like yes, anyways. yes. Please tell my husband that because <laughs> I don't know how it continues to creep its way. I don't even think they sell vegetable oil at our grocery store that we go to. But I we're at like a constant duel in this house of I only keep olive oil. And then somehow I always see a little thing of vegetable oil. I'm like, where did that come? from Kevin yeah. we don't we cook with that, that. <laughs> yeah, but I think I he, he likes it for his taco shells so um. <laughs> he won't let me I've tried multiple times to to throw things away and they just make your way back I think my grandma's my nana specifically <laughs> nana is secretly smuggling it to him because like I said I do most of the grocery shopping and yeah. I see it back there hiding <laughs> Which is so funny because we were in Pismo and Jaime's aunt and uncle were like, you don't have vegetable oil to fry the, the sopas. And I was like, yep. oh yeah, we don't really buy vegetable oil anymore. Like we only use olive oil. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Okay. Wait, sorry. I totally cut you off. So what do you do with it? Bake with it? Oh yeah. So I was going to okay. say baking and yes. a good batch of brownies with, mm. with some olive oil. That's that's gotta be my favorite. <laughs> Yummy. I have not, I, I need to bake. I love to cook, but I have not stepped into the baking scene yet, and I just need to. 
And I'm the opposite. I need to become a better cook because all I do is bake. And my husband's like, I can't have muffins for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, zucchini muffins, egg muffins. You can can make it work. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, thank you again for coming on. I am just so glad to be having this conversation, catching up with you. And I I think I need to sit and like process this whole story because I'm just (laughs) amazed by your resilience. And like I said, it's just so evident that God's had his hand on this whole story for you. So, so proud of all the work that you do. And we will be praying for you and rooting you on from not even afar. You're in my hometown now. So, (laughs) so we got to hang out soon next time in in town. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. I've I've loved all of this. (laughs) Oh, of course. We'll see you soon. Yeah, sounds good.